Welcome to Have Hope We'll Travel. When we travel, we get to know people who are different than we are. We hear different perspectives, and we better understand others' stories. We learn to stand with people instead of having opinions on issues. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. Friend, we are entering into one of my favorite weeks of the year, Holy Week. If you're listening to this episode on Monday, the day that it was released, then yesterday is what we call Palm Sunday. It's the day we celebrate Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and all the people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This year, Easter and Passover actually align. So Passover starts on Wednesday, and then Thursday is what some Christian traditions call Monday Thursday. It's the day of the first Last Supper. Good Friday is when Jesus was crucified on our behalf. And then there's the silence of Saturday. I did a podcast episode of that back in March of 2020. I don't know that anyone really wants to go back there, but if you're brave, it's episode 13. And then, of course, Easter Sunday, the day we celebrate Jesus' triumph over death. And in years past, I've created a resource or, like, fun freebies for Holy Week. Yeah, that didn't happen this year, um, because life got in the way, and um, death got in the way. You've seen on Instagram, my grandpa passed away. Um, He was actually the first of my four grandparents to go live with Jesus, and um, yes, we tailgated his funeral. That is real. You can see the footage on Instagram. Um, and I wasn't able to create a resource this year because, well, there are some other exciting things coming soon that I can't tell you about yet. <sighs> it's really hard for me to keep a secret. But here's the deal. I can't do this myself. I don't do this myself. I've had a team around me since the very beginning of Have Hope Will Travel, and it's time for that team to grow and change. And so I would love for you to join the volunteer team of Have Hope Will Travel. Maybe one of your skill sets matches one of our needs, or maybe there's a skill set you want to practice, and we could be a safe place for you to get started doing that. Something like writing show notes, creating graphics, transcribing, finding guests, creating videos. Oh my gosh, there are so many ways to get involved. So many cool things that we could do if our team was larger. So many cool things we could do if I didn't have to do the hard things. So let's talk about it. Let's start a conversation. Send me an email, katie at katieaxelson.com. I would love to hear how you think that you may be a good fit for Have Hopeful Travel, and let's chat about it from there. This week's perspective may be something that some people don't even consider a different perspective. Or maybe you consider it a really different perspective. Or maybe it's one of those things that you've heard of, but you don't really know anything about because you haven't taken the time to listen. Meet our new friend, Carrie Miller. Carrie's Catholic. Carrie and I met through a mutual friend, Anna Rachel Bolch, who was our very first podcast guest ever, way back in the day. Carrie is a writer and a blogger. She blogs at Surrendering for Greatness. She's from New Mexico, which is a place I have not yet been to, so I'm excited to get to learn about it. And she worked as a Catholic missionary for four years right out of college. Now she works as a freelance writer and marketer. Carrie, welcome to the show. Hey, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to get to chat with you. Me too. So let's actually start with New Mexico. You're from New Mexico. Do you still live there now? Tell us a little bit about what makes that state different. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I was born and raised here in New Mexico, Um, went to college in New Mexico, and it wasn't until after college that I left New Mexico. Um, As you mentioned, I was a missionary for four years and then after missions stayed in the South. Mm -hmm. So I was in Georgia and Tennessee and back in Georgia and just moved back to New Mexico in 2020, towards the end of 2020. And 
oh, New Mexico is just such, I, I do love it. I am so glad that I grew up here. I know a lot of friends, you know, from growing up days were like, oh gosh, I can't wait to get out of this town. I can't get wait to get out of this state. Mm-hmm. But it it's delightful. It's the beauty here is very rugged. It is the desert. Um, and it's, I think like the sixth largest state in the country in terms of area. Um, so it's huge. Yeah. It's, it's pretty large. Um, I grew up in the Northwestern corner, for example, and where I went to college in Southern New Mexico, that was a six hour drive, uh, from South to North. Um, So within the state, because it's so large, you have so many different landscapes. So people often picture, you know, when, when they hear the desert, you know, they picture like tumbleweeds and huge cacti and, you know, like nothing alive. <laughs> but we have, we do have parts of the desert that are that, you know, we don't really have tall cacti. That's more Arizona, but we have desert we have mountains we have uh snow like i live in santa fe and the elevation there is high enough that it really does snow like yesterday morning we woke up to three inches of snow so most people think okay you know new mexico is just always hot and dry and it actually gets really cold (laughs) in the winter yeah or parts of it do not all of it does um Mm -hmm. so the landscape is very beautiful it's very rugged um and there is an ecosystem here there is life you just sort of have to be attuned to it it's not the green like the greenery of you know georgia or tennessee Mm -hmm. but there is life here it's so beautiful um Mm -hmm. and then the people here are just lovely like they are kind and warm and welcoming and relaxed and very unpretentious, I would say. And then also the cultural diversity here is so beautiful. I never knew, I mean, I knew like a fact in my brain, but I like didn't understand the lived experience of so many um, people of color in other parts of the country because Mm -hmm. here, like we have many indigenous tribes, uh, Native American tribes, um, And, you know, we're right next to Mexico, so we have a very strong um, connection to the Latino community. And even parts of northern New Mexico, well, all of New Mexico really was settled by the Spaniards um, years ago. And so the Spanish that is spoken in, in northern New Mexico, I have heard, I'm not fluent in Spanish, but the Spanish that is spoken there is closer to you know, like the Spanish that was spoken in, in the 1500s. It's kind of like archaic oh, in some ways. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, we're just all together. All of the, all of the cultural backgrounds are all together in the state. Yeah. I, you know, grew up with friends basically from every walk of life, every background, mm-hmm. um, every skin color, every hair, hair type, you know, like I, I was just really blessed to have um, friends from all walks of life. And it, it really wasn't until I moved to Georgia and looked around and realized literally all of my friends here are white. And I Mm. like, how do I bridge 
that gap, you know, like I didn't know because, I mean, this is such a tangent, I guess, for our conversation, but rightly so, you know, people of color in the South, especially are very, uh, their communities are very insulated. They take care of each other because they've had to. And so me, I'm, you know, about as white as they come. I'm super pale. If I just show up and start inserting myself into their daily lives, I think they would rightly view me with suspicion. Like, what is this person doing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it was really in 2020 that I started to realize I miss diversity. I miss having more than one race in my social circle. Sure. And had I stayed in Georgia longer, like if I were there today, I think I would try to go to some of the uh, historically black universities and just listen and just try to learn, you know, like from their community events, not obviously I'm not going to just like show up at a class um, that's (laughs) that I'm not enrolled in, but just hang out if in the I, cafeteria, see what you hear. Yeah. Hey guys, they're like, wh- why? You know, that would be weird for right. sure. So if I were still there, I would want to go to those those community events and just listen and, mm-hmm. and you know, try to present myself as a friend um, yeah. and a listener. But alas, mm-hmm. I'm not there anymore. But I can yeah. still do that here in New Mexico. But anyway. It's true. That's, it looks that's different, of... and Have Hope Will Travel is designed to be the show where you can just sit and listen to things like yes. that. So you're in yes. the right place, and you sold me on New Mexico. I'm ready to visit. Yes, come visit. Listen, Santa Fe is so cool. There's so many mm-hmm. cultural things here, like parts of Santa Fe. You'll just drive around and be like, yeah. this is not that cool. And then you, like, or at least I do. I'm like, this is just like any other town in New Mexico. And then I realize... There are literally James Beard award-winning chefs all throughout Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. So, like, cuisine-wise, it's a huge draw. There's a huge art community. Mm -hmm. There are jewelers. It's it's very cool. Very cool. The architecture is always someplace that something that I notice first in a new place. And I've always been drawn to the architecture that I see as represented in New Mexico. Obviously, I'm sure the whole state doesn't look as beautiful as I've seen in the pictures, but um, it always makes me want to go, oh, I want to see that in real life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Santa Fe, I think, really plays into, like, you know, the stereotypical Southwest architecture with Adobe and, like, the beams that poke out of the building, you know? I don't Mm -hmm. even know. They have a name. I don't know what they're called. Oh, I'm sure they do. Uh, Yeah, no clue. But the rest of New Mexico is more normal in terms of architecture like not every town it's like literally a city ordinance that new buildings have to match that that style so like walmart has that style mcdonald's has that style there's a new storage like facility (laughs) that literally on the outside looks adobe because they have to match the style so santa fe really plays into it that's kind of cool Tell us, do you have any advice for um, people who maybe have a diverse friend group or want a diverse friend group and are like, I don't really know how to do this? I also don't really know how to do it. I think, um, just in full transparency, I think one thing, though, they can do is listen with an open heart 
and try to put themselves in situations where they will encounter people of other backgrounds, whether that, I mean, that can, that could be a a different racial background, but it could also be a different faith background. It could be Mm -hmm. a different, um, educational background, political ideology. It could be any of those things. And when you show up in those places, don't come in even internally, like don't come in with your fisticuffs up, you know, like ready to debate, like just listen, like Mm -hmm. just listen and be willing, I think, to be quiet and also to say hi and just be friendly and also be willing to do it for a long time because Mm. my, when I was a missionary, my first year of formation, we lived in the North Georgia mountains, but we helped with the youth group at a parish nearby. And for whatever reason, most of, there was a huge, huge Mexican immigrant community there. And so most of the youth were children of Mexican immigrants or were, had actually immigrated, you know, with their parents and they did not know I, they would speak to each other in Spanish. And again, I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I have, had been around Spanish enough to be able to pick up on some of the things they were saying. So I like understood their jokes and would laugh and laugh, but outwardly they saw this, they saw a super white blonde, you know, and other white skinned, fair haired people in Georgia are not used to Spanish or whatever. They had no way of knowing that because I'm from New Mexico, I actually more closely identified with them than I did with my other missionaries who were white. Like we, you know, racially come from the same background, but because they had grown up in other parts of the country, they were outsiders and I looked like an outsider, but there was no way for me to communicate my openness and love for their culture and appreciation for their, their traditions and their, you know, all of the things that they held dear other than to patiently show up for them and be kind to them and listen and, Mm -hmm. and not strive, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's good. I hadn't even thought about like, what does it look like to identify with someone who physically looks different than you do? Um, and them not knowing that you identify more with them than the people you look like. What a, what a contrast and experience you've got. Mm -hmm. Um, I also speak Spanish, and so I know the look of shock on people's face when this gringa pulls out some Spanish words. <laughs> and they're like, wait, what? Um, so, <laughs> wait, yeah, what? I understand yeah. I understand a little bit that, that moment of, oh, she actually does speak some Spanish now. Yes, yes. Yeah, I was in college. I was in a Latina sorority, <laughs> and I was, like, one of two white people. But they were so open and and welcoming. Like, they very much... Like, yes, we are, we were founded by Latino women at Texas Tech, mm-hmm. but we, and we are for, you know, the Latina community, but by no means are we exclusively a Latina sorority. And so I, again, that was just another reinforcement of like the beauty of, you know, Central American culture and also just like the just uh it's so vibrant and so so lovely but that's that is really where most of my like conversational spanish or at least understanding i can't necessarily speak it back but 
the understanding of my uh, conversational Spanish came from because my sisters were forever chatting in Spanish. And so it was, it was so fun. It was a wonderful experience. You're also making me miss Latin America now. (laughs) (laughs) So let's chat a little bit about your missionary experience because I also have missionary experience from Latin America, but I know our experiences are very different. Um, for a variety of reasons, but the one that we're going to highlight here is that you're actually Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so tell us a little bit, have you always been Catholic? <laughs> yes, I was born and raised, um, born and raised Catholic and have always loved being Catholic. I think part of that comes from, I feel like Catholics anywhere we go, at least in the United States, are kind of challenged in like by other people who are not Catholic. Mm-hmm. And I think our faith, our faith, our religion is misunderstood. And so even though I grew up in New Mexico, which is a pretty culturally Catholic place, I still had plenty of times in school. I went to public school where people, you know, would sort of say things that were not true about Catholics. And so that mm-hmm. kind of gave me like this, mm-hmm like pride, you know, and, and just a desire to like stand up for my faith because they were wrong Mm. and they, they did have misconceptions, you know? Um, but it wasn't until I was in high school and went to a, it's called Steubenville. (laughs) Any, any Catholic who hears this will be like Steubenville. I know what that is. Um, so Steubenville is a college. Um, well, actually let me back up. Franciscan University. I don't know if it's a university or a college, but there's a a pretty well-known Catholic institution of higher education, shall we say, in Steubenville, Ohio. And they, for years, have put on Steubenville conferences throughout the United States. And they are youth conferences. um, So for, you know, teenagers to come and, and have praise and worship and really awesome talks and really powerful prayer experiences. And so I went to Steubenville West in Tucson, Arizona as a 16 year old um, in between my junior and senior year of high school. And that was really the year that I went from sort of logically being like loving being Catholic and proud to be Catholic Mm -hmm. to actually in my heart be like, oh, like I finally had an encounter with Jesus um, in the Eucharist. We, for us, in the Catholic Church um, communion, we have it every single at every single Mass. And, you know, so we have Mass on Sunday. But you can go to daily Mass, too. Like, you can go to Mass every single day wow. other than Good Friday. And so for us, communion is not symbolic. It is truly the body and blood of Jesus, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. At Steubenville West was the first time I had a huge encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist, um, which, you know, communion is the Eucharist. Um, And finally, like I had known in a fact, as a fact in my head, like Jesus is in the Eucharist. Check. Got it. But after that Steubenville conference, like my heart finally got it. And I had an encounter like face to face with the living God in the Eucharist. And after that was just more and more like the love story has unfolded more and more since then. Yeah. So I've always been Catholic, always proud to be Catholic, 
but not until, mm-hmm. you know, mid-teens did I sure. start to actually fall in love with Jesus. Mm. And to see Can him more clearly... Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, and Go to ahead. see him more clearly in the sacraments, you know? So, like, mm. Eucharist, yeah. confession are the two that mm-hmm. happen a lot. <laughs> All the rest of them are like one and done. You know, you get baptized one time, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. So there are seven sacraments. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly church? right. Mm-hmm. Seven. Um, in the Protestant church, we only have two. So um, can you run us through what the seven are? I can. Do you know them off the top of your head? I do. Am I putting you on I the do. Spot? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Let's go back. I know. All I can think of is Mr. Burnham, my CCD teacher for junior year when I got mm-hmm. confirmed. If he ever hears this, he will be so proud. He was he was the best. We but we butted heads a little bit, but he was he was really the best. His whole thing was like to get to heaven. Everything we do is to get to heaven. So still to this day, all I hear is to get to heaven. Um. Anyway, wow. the seven sacraments are baptism, confession first. So first reconciliation, uh, first communion, confirmation, marriage holy orders and anointing of the sick or last rites. Oh, okay. What is holy orders? Holy orders is the priesthood. Um, like the, yeah, the, or so well, priesthood deacons are also considered part of holy orders. They are ordained as well. Um, it's a slightly different ordination, um, than priests, but deacons are ordained and they, they take on, holy orders when they get ordained got it very cool mm-hmm. are catholic missionaries ordained no 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 we because here's the thing well they can be let me back sure. that up lay missionaries like i was are not ordained we are okay. lay people right so lay people are basically anybody who's not clergy <laughs> that might be i don't know if that's also true for Protestants too, but that's true. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So lay missionaries are lay people, not clergy. So therefore we are not ordained. Um, but some missionaries that you certainly have missionary priests, so they are ordained. Um, and then some religious orders are, and you have men's religious orders and women's religious orders. So some men who are in religious life are only called to that consecrated uh, religious life. Mm-hmm. Some of them who are in religious orders are also called to priesthood. So if they are priests in a religious order, mm-hmm. then they are also ordained. So what drew you to wanting to become a lay missionary? For me, it really all stems from that one-to-one encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist as a teenager. And realizing that today in the Catholic Church, something like 70% of Catholics don't believe that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist, which is painful. Like that, like, Mm -hmm. man, every time we go to communion, we receive God, literally God, into our body. And to understand the intimacy and the love that is available to us with the actual God of the universe that so many people are missing. And also the more that I got to know Jesus, even as a missionary, 
the more I realized every single rule, if you will, is because of love, like from Mm. love. And so if I really just wanted to help other people have an encounter with God who is love, I want them to understand how, and I still do, like I'm not even officially a missionary anymore, but I still have this desire for people to understand how loved they are by God and that when they are able to have that person to person encounter with God, it changes everything. And so I wanted people to understand the love that God has for them, to experience the love that God has for them and ultimately get to spend eternity with God in heaven. In the Catholic view of, of eternity, there is such a choice as hell and which, you know, sounds really dire and and intense and scary, really hell. I think even C.S. Lewis wrote about this. Hell isn't punishment for doing bad things. Hell is kind of a choice. If we choose to live apart from God in this life, we choose to live apart from God in the next life, you know? Now, that's not to say that God's mercy isn't huge and crazy. And I think the old school view, like Catholic old school views of, you know, well, if a baby dies before it is baptized, like it's in limbo, its soul is in limbo. I think today that's, that's probably one of those stereotypes that people have of the Catholic church, because years ago that was kind of a debate among, you know, Catholics of like, is limbo a place? Today, though, I think we have a deeper understanding of God's mercy. And so I think that he, he knows each heart. He knows each soul. He knows that some of us have never been presented with the choice of God or not God, you know, or some of us never knew that we had a choice, etc. So just because a person might do bad things in their life and in theory choose to live apart from God, if they never knew that they had a choice or were making a choice, I think that God's mercy is, is big enough to not see past that. But basically, we don't know. As humans, we don't know. God can do whatever he wants, and his mercy is radical and wild and beautiful. But I, as a missionary, wanted and still want people to know that that love exists and that they can choose to live in that love and from that love. That's so beautiful. And I feel like that is a common theme that Catholicism and Protestantism have in common is knowing and experiencing God's love and then being able to share it with others. Mm -hmm. I think so too. We all believe in the same God. You know, that's, I'm such a fan of ecumenism. I never know how to say that word. (laughs) I don't know, ecumenism, I think, um, because we, ecumenicism, I think, oh, there you go, ecumenicism, ecumenicalism, Ecumenism. I don't know, yeah, you might be right, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea, but I think that we have so much that we can learn from each other, you know, like even um, when I was a missionary, we, we would say, like, we, because we believe in the Eucharist, we believe that this is going to sound to any Protestants listening, they're going to be like, wow, Catholics are psycho. <laughs> but we believe that we have 
the fullness of truth because we have the Eucharist. We still have the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus present to us mm-hmm. in the Eucharist. Um, and of course we love scripture and tradition, you know, we're both scripture mm-hmm. and tradition. So we, we believe that we have the, the quote unquote fullness of truth, but we have so much to learn from our Protestant brothers and sisters, because for example, just in my lived experience, when I walk into a Protestant church, I am so welcomed and like loved on and, and, you know, just, there's a kindness and a warmth, not to say that that's lacking in all Catholic churches, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times in a Catholic church, you're just not welcomed in the same way. Oh, not always. Some parishes are, are better (laughs) at it than others, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot that we can learn. And then, you know, just like this study of scripture there's so much that we can learn from each other because we all believe in the same Jesus. We all believe in the same God. Um, and you know, in John 17, Jesus prayed for unity. And so Mm -hmm. I am all about building bridges between the different denominations because like Jesus wants us to be united. So absolutely. I listened to father Mike's Bible in a year last year. And I loved getting to have him read scripture. I did it mostly over breakfast. So he was reading scripture to me for breakfast. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. And then I love the way that he unpacked the scriptures and some of the the Catholic views, because I felt like I understand a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily agree with everything. I mean, so sometimes I have to like recommend the podcast with a disclaimer, because if somebody (laughs) is new to the Protestant faith, I don't want to confuse them. Um, But at the same time, someone who's like eager to learn and at a place where they can hear different ideas and not be completely thrown off in them. I absolutely love it and highly recommend it um, because it was just beautiful to get to hear him, first of all, read scripture. I mean, there's nothing more beautiful than having someone read scripture to you while you eat breakfast, um, but also like to unpack it and to say, hey, this is the the Catholic idea. This is the Protestant idea. This is how they're different. And this is where they both came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was absolutely beautiful to be able to learn in that. Um, and then my best friend growing up as a as a young child was Catholic, and then my grandma was Catholic. And so there are a fair amount of Catholicism that still exists in my life today, even though I wouldn't call myself a Catholic. And I still have a pretty strong Catholic influence in my life. Yeah. What's funny is my uh, boyfriend is um, not Catholic, and he even with uh, he identifies as Christian, but he isn't strongly associated with any particular like denomination or tradition within Christianity. Mm -hmm. But since we've been dating, he has come to the realization how much of his life has been kind of surrounded by Catholic influence, even though he had no clue. He had no clue. And he was like, Oh my gosh, I had no clue that these friends were Catholic. We went to, you know, they had their baby baptized and he was like, wow, I had no clue. That's that there was so much Catholic influence around me. Sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we're kind of everywhere in a good way, yeah. I think. <laughs> and you're beautiful and you bring and you bring a lot to the table, which is great. And I think sometimes within Protestantism, there's this theory of like, oh, they're Catholic. That's different. I don't want to engage with them and they're wrong or like whatever, whatever they come to. And I don't think that that's accurate at all. Um, yeah. I love having Catholic friends. I love getting to learn from them. There are some practices that I think have Catholic heritage that are very important to me, um, and I love practicing them, especially like Holy Week is one of my favorite weeks of the year, um, and that is a heavily Catholic practice. Um, I also grew up Lutheran, so it's a Lutheran practice as well, but mm-hmm. um, just absolutely beautiful. 
But then there are some misconceptions. So can we talk a little bit about misconceptions that people have of Catholics um, and things that, that we need to know? Yes. I think, oh man, there's a few. There's a few. Um, <laughs> one that I have heard sometimes in life is that uh, because I, I think this comes from I don't want to say popular culture, but just how we sort of refer to Catholics and Christians, right? From that sort of misnomer, there is sometimes a belief that Catholics are not Christian, which is really far from wrong. the truth. Mm -hmm. It's just wrong. Yes. Um, Catholics were, in fact, this might be a strong statement. Catholics were the first Christians because we believe that not even we believe just like historically until mm -hmm. you know the split of well first uh the east and the west church split and then a couple hundred years later i think i i don't actually know the timeline but then it was later when 1500s. you know uh yep the 1500s when the the big schism happened between mm -hmm. catholics and protestants yeah and so up but up until that point for the first you know, 1500 years of church history, if you were Christian, you were Catholic. There was no like distinction. Um, yeah. Well, I guess there was, if you take into account like the Orthodox, the Eastern, you know, sort of schism, but mm -hmm. still they, I mean, Eastern churches still have really similar like liturgies and really similar. They're basically the only difference is that they don't necessarily fall under the authority of the Pope, right? But, like, other than that, um, now, however, I will say that if any Orthodox Christians hear this <laughs> and I am wrong, I hope that they, like, write in and are like, actually, here are the differences, because I would I would love to learn that, too. I have been trying to find someone who's Orthodox to interview on the show and have yet to be successful in that. So if an Orthodox individual is listening and is telling us that we're wrong or just wants to share their perspective, let us know, because let's all learn from you. Yes. Please, please let's learn because I, everything that I know is obviously from the Catholic perspective, yeah. um, which I've already indicated can sometimes sound a little snooty because we're like, we have the fullness of truth. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> I get that we sound a little full of ourselves. Um, so I'm sorry about that. I do not mean that in any way other than I need, I need some humility, you guys. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> I do. And I think all Catholics do because I just, I just think we do. I think we have a lot to learn from other Christians and even non-Christians. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Anywho, another misconception uh, that is out there a lot is that we worship the saints or we worship Mary, which again, not true because we worship only God. Only God is, is worthy of worship. Only God deserves worship. We honor Mary because she, without her, I mean, God would have found a way because God, again, can do anything, but she played such a key role in Jesus coming to earth, like in our salvation. And even Jesus, because he was a good Jewish boy, honored his mother. And you, like, you see that at the wedding feast at Cana, he was not ready to start his public ministry, but Mary saw that there was a need. And so she pulls him over and is like, hey, you got to help these people out. They need wine. And he literally says to her, 
it's not my, my hour hasn't come. Like I'm not, it's not time. Yeah. And she just ignores him and turns <laughs> to the servants and says, right. do whatever he tells you. Mm. So that's why we yeah. still go to Mary. That's one reason why we still go to Mary um, and mm-hmm. ask for her prayers. That okay. That's, I think, another misconception related to worshiping saints is that we pray to saints like, hello, you can't pray to anybody but God. Mm-hmm. And the only reason we call it pray to the saints, I use air quotes there, mm-hmm. is because they are no longer living, right? Like you can really only become a saint mm-hmm. if you're dead. <laughs> But when we pray to the saints, we're not worshiping them. We're merely asking them to pray for us in a way. It's very similar to how you would go to a friend or your own parents or somebody at church and say, hey, can you pray for me for this particular need? Like I really, you know, I need to find a job or I need X, Y, Z, whatever your need is. You are asking somebody else to pray for you. Mm, this is this is where Catholics can learn from Protestants, because I do not remember where in Scripture this quote is that I'm about to paraphrase. But somewhere in the New Testament, one of the epistles, perhaps an epistle of St. Paul, perhaps a different letter. I'm not sure. Likely, likely St. Paul, since he wrote the majority of it. But <laughs> Right. Most likely him. Could be one of the others. Who knows? You might know, actually, when I say this. Um, okay. But it says Jesus is the one mediator, you know? So mm-hmm. if... But we still say that prayer is powerful, right? So if Jesus is the one mediator, why are we asking each other for prayers ever? So I, but I've heard that, you know, well, Jesus is the one mediator in terms of like a rebuttal to why we ask the saints to pray for us. And I think I'm actually getting this directly from Father Mike. I feel like he probably talked about this in Bible in a year whenever he read wherever this came from, because I don't remember, you know, but he made the point of if Jesus is the one mediator. We don't need prayers from other people yet. We constantly ask each other for prayers because prayer is powerful. And so when we are praying to the saints or asking them to pray for us, that's all we're doing. We're only asking them to pray for us in a particular way. And so, yeah, we don't worship saints. We just ask them to pray for us because listen, they're already face to face with God in heaven. And so not that we on earth are far from God, but we're not seeing him face to face. And so we don't have as direct a line, if you will, that the saints have. And, you know, they, and also like hashtag real talk, a person only becomes a saint after there's a certain number of miracles uh, associated with them or like to their intercession. This is such a random thing. (laughs) Don't mind me as I talk to you about the beatification process. (laughs) but if they've already worked some miracles like miraculous healings, miraculous, whatever on earth Mm -hmm. through the power of God, right? Like the saint isn't doing it in their own power. God is allowing this miracle to happen through the intercession of that saint. So it's really God's power is what it comes down to. Um, anyway, so yeah, we don't worship Mary. We don't worship the saints. God is the one that we worship. God is the one whose power we extol. Mm. But he allows the saints to pray for us in a particular way. I think because their example of their earthly life kind of lifts us up. You know, it it gives us something to aspire to and shows us how, how boundless God's love is and how we can be God's instruments, God's hands and feet 
in our lives and in our particular calling here on earth. That's good. That's really good. Um, while you were chatting, I looked up the verse that I think you're referring to. Um, and I have my personal Bible set to the Passion Translation, which I'm sure people will judge me for. Um, but if what I just searched is what you're referring to, I think it's from First Timothy. So we were right, St. Paul. Um, and the Passion Translation says, for God is one and there is one mediator between God and the sons of man, the true, Je- the true man, Jesus himself, the anointed one. Yes. Um, so that may be what you're referring to. I was also I think thinking of a passage is. in Hebrews where it talks about him being a high priest, but I think that may be what mm-hmm. you're referring to. I think so. That sounds right. So let's talk a little bit more about your um, missionary experience. You were a missionary for four years. You're not anymore. You've been not a missionary, I think, at this point longer than you were a missionary. Um, And I know that we've talked about there are some things that you've had to unlearn from that time. Would you be willing to be vulnerable and share a little bit of that with us? Oh, I totally will. Um, I think the biggest one, well, there's, there's two main ones that I can think of. But the biggest one is the feeling of having to be constantly available to other people, constant availability. Um, I lived in community as a missionary, which means that my, my fellow missionaries and I lived together, prayed together, worked together, ate together. You know, like we, our whole life was together and mm-hmm. um, in, in ministry. And we did have a Sabbath day. Uh, every Monday was our Sabbath. Um, because of course, Sunday is a big ministry day. So Sunday was not our Sabbath day. Um, but Monday was, um, and there were a couple years where I, in my community, um, I had missionaries who were from Europe, so they can drive in Europe, but to get like a driver's license in the States, it was like, you know, more hassle for them than it was worth. Um, but a lot of times if they needed to go somewhere or do something on Monday, I wasn't the one that had to take them, but you know, those of us who, who did have American driver's licenses because we were in America, um, needed to be available to take them. So even on days off, it kind of felt like I, I wasn't really off and that it was in fact selfish (laughs) to say no. Um, Mm. or even like, and so for years after missions, I have really struggled with not filling every single day chock full of, uh, commitments, not even commitments, but, you know, helping other people or, you know, meetings or Mm -hmm. what have you. Like it has been a whole thing to learn or unlearn, I guess, that taking time to myself is not selfish. Resting Mm -hmm. is not selfish. Yeah. That, especially my particular missionary organization seem to really favor the extroverts among us. And so they are more, you know, extroverts love, not that introverts don't love people, but extroverts get their energy from being with people. And so for me to take, I'm an introvert and for me to take time by myself for years just felt so selfish. And I, you know, even when I, after missions, I continued to lead a high school girls Bible study for um, two years, I think, until I moved back to Atlanta. And then once I moved to Atlanta, that was the first time that I lived by myself because after missions, I was really lucky to get to live in a Catholic household of women 
in, in Nashville for those few years after missions. Um, so I had never lived by myself and I really wrestled with the feeling of I should volunteer at church. Like I should get back into some kind of ministry, but also just feeling so tired and so unenthused, you could say, to give of myself in that way. And, and for years it really took me, I, I just felt guilt in the back of my head of like, I should, I should still volunteer in some way, but I was so tired. <laughs> so just like tired in my spirit of having been surrounded by people for, you know, four years. And then even when I lived in the Goretti house in Nashville, um, so for six years of my life, just like surrounded by people living in community, but not really having time, a lot of time to myself. Yeah. I, I felt selfish yeah. for a long, long time. Um, and I still talk with some people who are former missionaries. I don't think all former missionaries feel this way, but I think some of us are still really wrestling with that, giving ourselves time to rest and time out of ministry is selfish. Mm -hmm. You know, we just mm -hmm. really wrestle with that. And then I think the other thing that I really struggle to unlearn is my own, not my worth personally, but the value, especially because I'm a freelancer, the value of my work and the skills that I bring. Because as a missionary for four years, we fundraised our whole entire livelihood. I was not the best fundraiser among the missionaries. And so that meant that I, my mom was like my best mission partner. Cause I think she was terrified that I was going to, you know, be homeless one day if I continued down this path. And so she sure. donated a lot <laughs> to my mission fund because she was so concerned that I wouldn't have what I needed, but I did have other mission partners too, but still all of them together, I was not the best fundraiser. And so that I think sort of, and I wasn't good at, at asking for money for myself because it felt so like, Oh, I could fundraise for other missionaries all day long. But when it came to asking for myself, I already struggled with that. Um, but then, you know, some of the work that we did was unpaid. We were basically glorified volunteers in a lot of ways. And so ever since then, I've just really struggled with asking for raise. And I think women in general, in this country at least struggle with asking for raises and struggle with sort of their time being perceived as being as valuable as a man's time in some situations, not all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, sure. but yeah, especially as a freelancer, I think I, my, my skills aren't that great. I'm not worth that much, mm -hmm. which isn't true. Like I've worked hard to, yeah. you know, get a master's degree. I've worked hard to right. learn all of the skills that I use every day in my work. Mm -hmm. And so I've earned the right to set fair rates, but that is something that I still mm -hmm. struggle with and kind of need to unlearn because so much of what we did as missionaries, we were expected to just do for free and we're expected to in a way be just free labor for certain aspects of not even our mission organization, but our, yeah. Missions was like a separate but related entity to a larger youth ministry organization. And so sure. in some ways, that larger organization 
I think just thought they were part of our mission, but you know, we Mm. kind of struggled with, no, no, we have given up years of our lives to evangelize and preach the gospel, not to be unpaid labor in your store, you know? So, but there was, there was like a disconnect anyway. And so still, Mm -hmm. still to this day, I feel challenged by needing to, especially as a freelancer, um, but to say, you know, I have skills (laughs) that Mm -hmm. you need to pay me for, you know, like that still is really hard. Right. No, that's, that's so valid. Do you have any tips for overcoming those challenges? In terms of the feeling that not serving all the time is selfish, I think my biggest tip as, you know, brisk as this might sound, is still to just take the time. I think we hear a lot that you can't pour from an empty cup, you know, like you cannot serve Mm -hmm. people. You can't give other people what you don't have. Yeah. And I think that is true, especially for anyone who is a former missionary or has just left missions or is leaving missions soon Mm -hmm. for whatever length of time that you were a missionary you probably have some vestiges of like lingering guilt (laughs) for not still being a missionary. Mm -hmm. And I would say for me, I was a missionary for four years. I left in 2014. So now it's 2023. So it's eight years. Thank you. I was like, man, I majored in English. I math is hard. Um, (laughs) Eight years, I would say it it took not all eight of those years, but probably about a solid two years after missions, Mm -hmm. maybe even longer, maybe even five years. Listen, all I'm saying is that it was not until 2022 that I returned to any capacity of ministry at all. Like I, this past fall finally Mm -hmm. felt like God was really nudging me into the direction of adult confirmation at my parish, at my church. And so that's when I, and I didn't want to, I was like, "Mm, I don't know, Lord, I just, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And it was because I mentioned to my mom, we go to church together. I thought, hi, mom, I think I need to help with, you know, adult confirmation or young adult something. But then I was just going to let the opportunity pass. And after mass one day, the uh, person who does adult confirmation at the church and RCIA and lots of other faith formation things for adults Mm -hmm. was available after mass, you know, to like, really, I think she wanted to talk to any adults who wanted to go through adult confirmation. But instead, I, my mom, you know, sort of like elbowed me. I was waiting for the priest. He was going to bless something for me. And I, he said, oh, hold on, like, let me say hello to the rest of the people after Mass, and then, you know, once yeah. they all leave, I'll I'll bless this thing for you. Yeah. And so while we're waiting, I was like, okay, like, I'm just gonna, you know, peacefully stand in sure. the lobby of the church, and then my mom nudges me and is like, hey, go talk to Bernie, who's yeah. the person who, you know, anyway, so if it weren't for my mom actually telling me to act on my sure. inkling to return to ministry, I wouldn't have done it. Um, but yeah, so it took eight years basically, uh, for me to Mm. 
So twice as long is what I'm saying. Twice as long that I was a missionary, right. it took me to be ready to return sure. to ministry in any capacity. So wow. I don't know that it's a general, that this would be a general rule of thumb for anybody who's ever been a missionary, but I would say be willing to give yourself twice as long sure. to yeah. just rest and to receive from God what you worked so hard to give to other people. Because I think there is, there can be, I don't want to say there is always, but there can be this tendency to believe that God's love, I think this is true for anybody, but there, we can have the tendency to believe that we have to earn God's love in some way. And especially as missionaries, if we are like, whoa, I only earn God's love if I'm like, you know, selling all of my possessions and going to be a missionary, we need to take time to unlearn that we cannot earn God's love and to just receive it and to learn how to rest in his love in a way that we might not necessarily get to rest when you're active in the mission field. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. I have so many more thoughts on that, but we do not have time to unpack all of them. <laughs> so you and I will continue a conversation offline. Um, but for the podcast, couple final questions for you. Mm -hmm. If we have enjoyed learning from you, where can we learn, find you online? Come find me at carriekmiller.com. That is my blog that you mentioned at the top of our podcast. Mm -hmm. And I'm also on Instagram and my handle is at carriekmiller underscore. So no okay. dots or anything, just carriekmiller underscore. And I'm on, I'm, yep, writing on my blog, posting on the, the gram and yep. yeah, just generally out in the world. Wonderful. 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 Carrie, would you be willing to pray for us? Oh, I absolutely would. Okay. Great. And because I'm, and because I'm Catholic, you know, I'm going to start in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Great. <laughs> so in the name of the father and the son of the Holy spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the stories that you give us to tell and the breath that you give us to breathe. We thank you for every day to learn from you, to receive love from you, and to give your love away to others. Lord, I pray that we would each be receptive vessels that whatever segment of our hearts you need to open wider, that we would give you permission to do that, that you would heal any wounds that need healing, that you would love any hurts that prevent us from receiving love. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be faithful to you today in whatever way that looks like. You call each of us to faithfulness in a different way based on our stage and circumstances. And so Lord, help us to be faithful to you in our circumstances and not compare our faithfulness to someone else's faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Help us to receive your love. Help us to share your love. Help us to rest in your love. 
Lord, help us to always be mindful of how precious we are to you so that we don't have to live in fear or strife or worry, but can live in confidence. In the most holy and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, I love getting to hear people pray. I love getting to hear how they encounter God personally. And so I love the, the Catholic tradition of starting off being like, this is in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, this is who we are coming to. And then being able to encounter him intimately, and then at the end being reminded of, this is about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So mm-hmm. thank you for being willing to do that for us. Thank you so much for I have one letting... final question. Yes. Yeah. I have one final question. Sorry to cut you off. That's okay. Um, the podcast, we are always learning something. We are always experiencing something different. And so I would love to know what's something you've learned recently. <laughs> so much. I feel like I'm forever learning. Um, but the first thing that comes to mind is I recently started listening to this podcast called Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. It's so interesting. He like talks about many different like mysteries in the world and he he's Catholic, Mm -hmm. but he designs the podcast to be accessible for anybody. Like you don't have to be Catholic to listen to it and to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. But he talks about each mystery from the aspect of like faith and reason. Um, So it's pretty, Mm -hmm. a pretty interesting take. Um, but I recently learned that there is a belief or thought process called transhumanism, which is crazy. I mean, to me, it's crazy. Maybe to transhumanists, it's not crazy, but so I learned from that podcast, like that transhumanism exists, what it is. I can't really explain to you what it is, but it's basically like the biggest definition if you will of transhumanism is that eventually we will be able to like you know upload our consciences consciousness to uh robots like we'll all live in the cloud um that we you know age lifespans will be extended Mm -hmm. you know we could get like implants in our brains that help us like automatically do things it's like a whole Mm -hmm. thing i think some of it is within within our reach. Like, I think we're getting close to some of it being true. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I hope that not all of it becomes true because, right. you know, especially as Christians, we really believe like our body, we are body and soul and intellect. Like mm-hmm. we are all of those things where yeah. we can't, we're not just our brains. We're not just our conscious, conscious, con- whatever. We're not just our brains. <laughs> and so we, yeah. I don't know, we won't still be human if just our, memories are uploaded to like a robot you know what i mean anyway it was fascinating it's a fascinating podcast fascinating interesting Mm -hmm. i've got some things to think about yeah well carrie thank you so much for your time today i have loved getting to learn from you getting to hear your perspective um really excited to someday visit new mexico um and to further embrace our catholic brothers and sisters um as we all follow jesus together i think that's who we are as brothers and sisters right because we're all following Um, the same God, the same Father. So thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us and for your experience as well. Thank you so much, Katie. It was such a treat to get to chat with you today. It was.
As always, a big thanks for listening. Be sure to connect with Carrie on Instagram at, at CarrieKMiller underscore or her blog at CarrieKMiller.com. I would love to connect with you as well. I'm at Katie Axelson on Instagram. And of course, KatieAxelson.com is my home base for all things internet. If you're interested in hearing a Jewish perspective, because, well, it's Passover week as well, be sure to check out episode 55 with Lisa Waldman. Highly educational, highly informative, and I found it incredibly helpful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Happy Easter, my friend. And until I see you next, know that you are loved, know that you are seen, know that you matter, you are cared for, your story adds value. I'll see you again in two weeks.